Hello and welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share first-hand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Chris and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, we're joined by William Vablay. William is the head of B2B Developer Relations at Samsung. William spoke to Gene about developing strategic relationships between Samsung and Google, as well as what role APIs play in that collaboration. They talked about so many awesome things that we should just get into the episode. Take it away, Gene. William, welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you on the show today. I've been wanting to have an episode on how developers from different tech companies work together to deliver a business solution and and your experience with the enterprise developers and business community is just perfect for that. So can we start there? And we gave an intro in the beginning, uh, but I would love you to tell us a little more about your journey into and across the tech sector and, and possibly leading to what you're working on now. Great, well, thanks very much, Jean. My name is William Babley. I'm actually a strategic partnership manager at Samsung, and I work out of the Mountain View office in uh, the South Bay in San Francisco. And uh, it's been quite a journey to, to actually get here, uh, <laughs> some, some almost 40 years, actually. So that's, that makes me uh, almost as old as the dinosaurs. So I started out many years ago in... Uh, Sun Microsystems, working on catalyst programs for business and business development, and worked on uh, CDs and converting documentation from large uh, libraries of books into CDs. And so from that, I uh, started a, a business. I left Sun and started a business on CDI authoring, out of that, I was asked to move over to Microsoft in Redmond, Washington, from the UK, uh, developed a program for converting, uh, authoring, and uh, applications over from the Apple at the time to PCs, because all the Apple, all the titles were on Apple, and uh, they wanted to sort of move them over to a PC. I got involved in developing a technology called CD Plus, or Enhanced CD, and that turned into Project Blue Book, which, as many people might know in that space, uh, the standards are defined by colored books. So Green Book is uh, XA and so on. And Blue Book actually was multi-session. You could actually write, read and write to a CD. So I got involved in that early on at Microsoft. I was there for eight years. And that was a really fantastic opportunity for seeing the industry from a 30,000-foot level. And then moved out and uh, started little startups. I got involved very early on in a company called Morpheus, which you might have heard after Napster was shut down and the peer-to-peer companies uh, arrived. I ran that for about a year, which was very interesting. We had 15 million online users at any one time, day or night. That was before Facebook was around, by the way. After that, I'd, I went off and did a few other startups and moved into BlackBerry. I ran developer relations for BlackBerry for EMEA, so all of the European space, for a couple of years in the time when we were moving over to BB10, the new operating system. That was an ex- extremely exciting environment. And from there, I, I moved over to Samsung, uh, and that was five years ago. And I've been with Samsung 
in various positions ever since. Thank you for that. Now, um, I'm going to ask you to kind of uh, look quickly back into some of the recent projects or and, and in past projects you've been working on. And if you were to like think about like what really you know, drives tech companies actually to partner with the others, and despite some you know, fundamental differences and even risks sometimes that they do this, what, what's really driving them to do this? So over the period of uh, years, lots of companies have tried to do things on their own. They've tried to own the space uh, that they're in. They wanted to own the developers. They wanted to own the platform. They wanted to just own everything. And it turns out that they can't be successful if they try doing that. And so as a result, you find the, the most successful companies actually provide mechanisms for developers to connect into their technologies to make that technology, their solution, wider to a wider audience from what it means by developing applications. So what I mean by that is you you find uh, a company today that might have a database application. And so take Oracle, for example, and Oracle's a database. Great. What does it do? It's a database. It stores information in the back, in your cloud, right? But, you know, just saying they're a database company is, you know, taking away from, you know, what they've done uh, to to create an ecosystem, what they call an ecosystem of developers and business providers that provide front ends to that database. So the database is just a means to an end. But what really drives a solution is what these companies have built so that the end user can actually use it. So how they do that is they provide a front end, they provide uh, the intelligence, the business logic behind how the uh, solution might operate, and then they plug in the database in the back end. And so now it's not just a database, but it's a full you know, solution from the front end all the way through the back and, and, and so on. And to do that, Oracle was very smart about providing uh, APIs for the developers to be able to plug into the the database functionality so that they could actually use, you know, what essentially is sounds generic, but it isn't because there's a lot of horsepower, a lot of development work going on in the background that they may not be aware of. So with those APIs, you know, they tend to, St- stabilize what's going on. So developers can write to these stabilized interface while a company like Oracle, for example, can be busy working on you know, developing distributed databases, doing things that you know, developers won't see, but they will still support these APIs because they're stable throughout different rev- revisions of the product and so on. So so that means that the applications that use those APIs can now be guaranteed that they're going to continue to operate because those calls to the APIs don't change over a period of time, right? So it allows for stability. It allows for maintenance that these uh, companies can be comfortable in understanding that when they make a call, it continues to operate the same way as it has been in the past. And you know, they don't have to keep developing code, you know, because someone's changed 
the underlying technology. As technology moves so quickly, you need something stable in, in, in between. So that's, that's what the API does. Um, William, you started out talking about Oracle's example. Can you perhaps compare to that um, how it was working back then versus how you know Samsung is working with the Google these days? Do do we see any difference? No, I, I don't see that there's a difference in the way that companies work uh, with developers. As such, what we find is certain companies, such as Samsung, for example, will provide. Uh, a solution if a solution isn't available to them. So the out of Android, which when it first came out, it was uh, coined as the Swiss cheese of operating systems because it was an open, uh, open source uh, environment. It wasn't particularly secure and it wasn't really taken seriously by businesses uh, because of its lack of security. And it's taken a lot of iterations, almost five years, for it to be fully adopted by the business community and over that period it's gone through a number of evolutions right um one of the biggest evolutions was that there were uh, because there was no security samsung back in 2014 actually 2013 threw 6,000 engineers at the problem and within 12 months they came out with nox 1.0 which was essentially uh, a secure platform that was actually built into from the ground up, from the hardware through the uh, ability for the hardware to monitor bootloaders and things like that for uh, making sure that uh, there was no uh, issues with someone tampering with the hardware itself, all the way through to the software uh, layers in the operating system and onto the application layers as well, providing a rich environment for workspace to be separated in terms of both operating and using data you know applications and separating those applications out and being able to manage that uh, remotely through a mobile management uh, environment so emm as they call it a enterprise mobility management system so throughout that we find that samsung had to go and build their own solution for uh, industries that were seeking a secure environment. Come 2014, Google realized that they needed a secure solution, a generic one, and uh, acquired a company called Divide. And Divide was, you know, uh, a solution that's running on Android at the time. And out of that came what we now know as uh, Android Enterprise. And that is the Android or Google's equivalent of their security environment. So now we have two security uh, systems operating on uh, a platform running Android, either Android Enterprise uh, on a Samsung or Knox running on a Samsung. So it was causing a little bit of confusion for customers in the B2B space. And so over a period of 18 months, a little probably a little longer than that. Samsung and Google's uh, engineering teams started working together to combine the operation of a secure platform and build a secure, pla- a generic secure platform based on Knox that would run on Samsung. And so what they did was 
I created a, a, a re-engineered the environment so that on a Samsung device, which already had evolved into the number one security platform uh, for mobile devices, they then took the functionality of what Google was providing and the functionality that Samsung already provided and allowed both the Google components and the Samsung components to work on this new platform that uh, understood and supported the APIs of both. Walk us through a little bit, because that is exactly what our audience love knowing about. Because at the end of the day, you have this employee using a device, and how those decisions are made is totally um, hidden from it. But like how the mechanism in which you know, the Google, and, and I'm just imagining a lot of people finally realizing, hey, we create a solution um, problem for our customers, you know, enterprises in this case, and how the decision was made, how uh, the collaboration gets started, how the technology plays in, you know, a role in there. Anything you want to talk about in terms of how the whole process got started and when, went on? Yeah, so it's, it's actually a, a very hard engineering problem. Uh, the, the, the challenge is that you have two differing philosophies, if you like, um, and you've also, in security specifically, that is a, a difficult nut to crack in terms of uh, Android as well, because Android is an operating system that's, def- that's really built on, you know, Trying to share everything, trying to share resources. Let's get, all get on together. That you know, we this is an application that's going to run. Then we're going to have to let let this application have the resources it needs to be able to run and how to do that and so on. And that's its philosophy. But when you say security, you know, you're actually taking away all of that. You're, you don't want an application to just say, well, I need to be able to access your database and your your mobile phone contacts and all the other things, right? So you don't want them to, to access it. So you're, you're already at, at odds with uh, the technology itself and uh, the way that it's been put together. So that's one thing. The, the second thing is, you know, differing security uh, applications work differently, They're either from an architectural level, from a philosophical level in terms of, you know, do you encrypt the the files individually? Do you encrypt the data individually? Do you encrypt, you know, the uh, the stream? Uh, what do, what how it how does it go through? And so, those have to be decided. And then you have, you know, the overall uh, picture, which is how does the end user interact with this? You know, you've got uh, two different environments with two different UIs. You know, how are you going to unify the UIs together to actually make them look and feel, you know, transparent to the end user, right? And so the the whole process uh, in the background took on a life of its own. We had engineering teams in Mountain View uh, who were developing the Knox components and were able to work uh, with Google uh, folks across, literally across the road. You can throw a rocket across the 101 and they're on the other side of the 101, actually. And uh, the folks on the other side were developing the Android Enterprise components that were based in London. 
So that's where all their uh, security uh, engineering teams are, are based, as well as uh, the UI teams are based in New York and South Korea. Meetings would be, you know, on average, 20 people, 30 people at a time calling in from all over the world, um, dealing with, you know, what color the shield is going to look like in the top right-hand corner and what happens to it when you actually have connected the application with the right license key. You know, the shield changes uh, shape and color and so on. So there are nuances and details that would take, well, it took on one particular occasion two months to decide what color we were going to have, you know, one icon. And that was multiple meetings across different time zones. And we're talking, you know, 12 time zones here, you know, organizing uh, the teams from all over the world to jump in on a phone call, first of all, like we're doing today. You're in Munich and I'm here in the Midwest. <laughs> and you multiply that 30 times and you're, you're getting an idea of how complex uh, a project like this becomes. And keeping everybody on track and informed. So at the end of the day, if in fact there is an at the end of the day right now, but um, how happy are you uh, in terms of the, uh, the team who walked away with, uh, you know, from the collaboration? Did you feel that you achieved what you set out to do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, it's out there in the, in the real world right now. And, you know, no one's the wiser because it's transparent and it was, in, it was uh, distributed and deployed with little or no fuss. And it was a very challenging and very satisfying engineering project. Uh, I think everyone's delighted with it because at the end of the day, you have to understand that Samsung and Google don't create just one operating system or just one built. Samsung actually, if you go to samsung.com, you know, has, you know, many, many products on there, just in the mobile space, right? You've got S10s, S5, S5Gs, Notes, Note, uh, Note 9, not 8, Note 8 Plus. You've got uh, an A series, which is an A50 or an A6. They have a fold, which is a, the folding phone. Uh, they have versions of each of those that run with different carriers, which ha also have to have different builds. Each of those products have to be tested, have to be compliant, have to be certified, have to work on the carrier, have to work with the carrier teams so that each carrier certifies that they will sign off, that that particular product will be allowed to be used on that uh, carrier network, and so on, and so on. I am not going to ask you how many SKU numbers are in Samsung database. <laughs> but actually, um, let's have a little fun with this, because our audience love really uh, finding out what's really happening on their phone. It's, it's like one obsession. So, and I'm, you know, expecting Samsung to really know what is winning, uh, especially like on their home screen and things. So quick vote, <laughs> you know, informed vote from you. W what is winning? We talked about security over freedom to be able to add and share data. 
what is winning? Which one would you say as of now? Well, in the B2B space, you know, I think there's a lot of B- BYOD uh, going on. So they're, they're letting, you know, uh, employees bring their own devices in, which brings its own challenges to the table because in the IT group, we'll probably want a homogeneous, you know, only one device and that we're controlling everything on it type of environment. But then again, you know, you, it's, there's no one size fits all. You know, in highly competitive and uh, regulated in, uh, industries, then it becomes, actually it becomes easier because they tend to be more specific and not allow BYOD. In less regulated uh, environments, such as not the financial sector, uh, you know, or government, then I think it's fairly open to interpretation and uh, people are more lenient to it. And, and that's really what's happening. The other thing is a lot of the security is moving off the mobile endpoint, as we call it, the device, the mobile device, and is now migrating to the cloud itself. So applications running on the cloud, the cloud devices, cloud services, and so on. So a lot of security is being handled back there as opposed to being left. How does that change a lot of things that a lot of um, consumers waste their time on, like user authentication, you know, because even these days, you know, I spend a fair amount of time entering passcodes and things like that. How does that change? Well, yes, um, passcodes. They're kind of old hat, really. You know, you've got endpoints now, uh, our mobile devices with multiple mechanisms of uh, bio uh, authentication. You know, so so you have some thumbprint, you have uh, the uh, the uh, face recognition, you have um, iris recognition, which works hundred times faster than face recognition is more accurate, and yet people don't use it. <laughs> they're still they're still stuck in you know seventies technology, which is passwords. You know, when really. You're carrying around this device, you know, and it should be able to authenticate you from many, many ways. And so you are your device. So um, a lot of the things happening in some more forward thinking companies are, you know, the introduction of, you know, uh, not using a password at all. And, you know, knowing you by the way that you interact with the applications, how they're being used and so on. You know, you leave a trail, a usage trail, you know, on the device that defines a profile like you. You you use a, a, that application a much different way than somebody else might use it. And AI applications can see that sort of operating uh, log and uh, make a pretty good decision on the fact that yes, you are you are who you say you are because. You're using the application. You're using the mobile device exactly how you've been using it in the past, right? Although I'm fascinated by this whole behavioral authentication, um, I want to ask you one more thing because um, the inbox that that really tends to be a killer app for many phones. Um, that's another thing that we're kind of getting a little confused. Who is winning? So let's say for work environment. Email versus collaboration app, which one is winning? It really depends on what space you're in and the company that you're working in. So I, I know 
many companies that are using things like Slack, you know, for collaboration. And they have, you know, essentially, you know, a Facebook-like environment where they can share documents and, and information and so on. So that works very well for um, large, larger teams or, or teams who want to collaborate on specifics but still uh, want to play in a, in a bigger space. It, but it, again, email is the, uh, the platform of choice when you're communicating with someone outside of your, your safe zone, your, uh, your slack zone, right? <laughs> so it means that at the end of the day, uh, companies have to communicate outside of, of their environments and they use email to do that. Uh, yes, there are a number of alternatives that are starting to appear, uh, but I think it'll be a while before we see the last of the email and the inbox. <laughs> then one more thing, this could be more of an outside of work kind of use, but social channel versus private messaging, what do you, what do you think? The social channels uh, have been very popular and uh, very successful, but I see that out of that have grown uh, companies providing mechanisms for collaboration out of those social channels, right? So private messaging, uh, again, one-to-one or the types of messaging that we're starting to see, which is uh, privately in terms of departments, in terms of, you know, keeping a a corporate exposure to, you know, small teams. Um, That's more uh, interesting to me since I'm working in the unified communication space right now. And I'm seeing a lot of interest in in that but again there is no one size fits all i don't see you know a generic winner takes all here so it's going to take some time before one is established over the rest and i don't see that yet it's going to be a while before that happens uh, this will probably be my last question because you mentioned um, unified communications i'm assuming you're talking with a lot of businesses who are thinking of bring that in um, is there any common reasons why companies want to do this and you know their big ask for companies like Samsung to do is is there something you can share um, so I've been working with uh, unified communications companies uh, now for or probably six to nine months out of that uh, some interesting things are, uh, are falling out of the uh, of the bushes here. One is uh, the ability to communicate with a mobile workforce uh, at any one time, and being able to integrate that with video, uh, with documentation, with uh, shared workspaces as well. So, for example, there's a there's a great example that I came across, which is a company called uh, Waste Management. They're the ones who pick up the, the, the garbage uh, from your home, you know, pretty much across the country right now, <laughs> in the US anyway. Um, they have something like 30,000 trucks uh, on the road at any one time. So they, they were started out looking at driver safety and looking as to how to keep their drivers from some hazardous materials and things like that, but also using a device that could also take a photograph of where their garbage collection was so that they could say, okay, well, we couldn't pick the garbage collection 
from that location because there were there was a car parked in front of it and we couldn't get to it right and so there was a reason for taking the photograph it was a you know business decision so out of that they thought well this is a platform that we have in the cab of the of the truck what else can we have on there so they now have the gps that's been generated by the uh, by the tablet that's in there they also have a unified communications applications from a company called fuse which provides video and uh, text messaging and audio and shared documentation and so on and it's all part of that uh, solution so a tablet which might made its way into uh, a vehicle didn't turn out to be a tablet at all but an actual platform that was used for many different functions uh, as a result of you know, being in a mobile office, if you like. And so the uh, ability for people to, to use this, you know, in a much more flexible way is what's happening right now. And I, I think that's, that's what we're seeing uh, as well. I, I simply love that kind of examples where the designers initially didn't even think of that kind of use and somehow users just find a way to use it and right. somehow that turns into a killer app and more development comes out of this so thanks for sharing that now is there any resources you want people to check out to perhaps follow uh, what you are working on next uh yeah they can certainly go to uh, the samsung.com and uh if they go samsung.com forward slash dex that will show them a nice uh, B2B solution that we're working on right now, which allows for a mobile phone to be connected directly to uh, an HDMI connection, so any TV or uh, monitor, and suddenly the phone becomes a desktop experience. And so it'll run all the Android applications, but in full screen, not in a slither, and also allow you to, if you need legacy applications that run in a PC environment, you can run a VDI, which is a, an, a, another window on the screen, and you can run a PC instance, Windows 10, running inside a window, and uh, you can go back and forth and, and, and run that. It looks just like you're running a, a PC, but it's all being run from your phone. That's the application I'm working on and the applications have been optimized to do that and going back to the original question the APIs the APIs to do that are actually open source APIs from Google not from Samsung so they allow for the use of a keyboard and a mouse to be able to interact with the applications on the screen just like a PC would be right as opposed to the normal way of interacting if it was on a mobile phone with your finger on a touchscreen, right? So there's a, it changes the input method uh, and allows you to have a fully uh, rich experience on the screen. So that's the deck side. And then for developers, they should go to two places. Developers.samsung.com is uh, where the developer community would go to for the SDKs, toolkits, and... Uh, all things developers, and also seap.samsung.com is the B2B registration site for developers who want to get access to our B2B 
uh, SDKs as well. Awesome. Now, um, before I let you go, just a little fun we have, and I'm going to ask you the three things you use the most on your phone. <laughs> well, uh, I find myself using Google Maps almost, you know, every other minute to find out where I'm going. So my uh, my internal GPS has shut down in favor of Google Maps. So I use that all the time. And I kind of like it because, you know, it gives me all sorts of other information. The other day, it uh, it told me that there was a uh, a police speed trap ahead for some reason. <laughs> so that was really good. So I slowed down there. I use uh, WhatsApp quite a lot as a back channel for talking to my friends and also uh, for all my con- connections with within the European space, which is lots. It's pretty much, you know, the go-to app for uh, Europe for people working and uh, co- collaborating in Europe for whatever reason. I don't know that certain parts of the world seem to have you know, uh, locked on to a particular favorite app. And that seems to be the one for Europe, I suppose. And the, the last one I've used, and it's just a personal one I use, is a, is a company that I came across called Nucleus. Um, you can find them somewhere at Nucleus Life. And it's, a, it's literally a little tablet that uh, I had to use for my mother, who's 89 years old, and she lives in Spain, and I call her on a daily basis. And it's really easy for her because there are no buttons on it. I can I can initiate the call. So she doesn't have to fumble around with a, a tablet at the other end. I've tried that in the past, and it lasted for about five minutes before, you know, she'd be into, you know, the setups and things like that, and, you know, I'd lost her forever. <laughs> so, so that's kind of what I use. That's awesome. Thank you. So except Google Map, it really it's notable that both of them are communications app, WhatsApp and Nucleus, which I must check out. So thanks again, William. That's it for today. Thank you very much, Jean. Thanks, guys. Thank you again to William Vablay for joining us today. You can find out more about William and Samsung at Samsung.com. To find out more about Jean and Tentech, visit Tentech.com. Make sure to search for Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. So on behalf of the team here at Tentech, thanks for listening.